Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. This is the podcast where we go over the original comic book issues of Spider-Man, done by the original creative team of Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. And on this episode, we're going over Steve Ditko's last issue, which is Amazing Spider-Man number 38. Uh, I'm one of your two total co-hosts. My name is Will Hines. My name is Kevin Hines, and I am the second co-host, which gets that up to the total of two that Will mentioned before. That's right. And um, here's some stuff about me and Kevin. Uh, We are human brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, We live on opposite coasts. Kevin is on the East Coast in the great state of New Jersey. I am on the West Coast in the great state of California. And uh, we're both uh, performers and teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which means you have to think we are funny. (laughs) That's right. Or at least our students do. That's right. You're required. And um, we're lifelong fans of Spider-Man in general and these early issues in particular. Uh, We're not experts beyond that. We're just uh, passionate, passionate, lifelong comic fans who love Spidey. Uh, Like I assume you do if you're listening. Yeah. And as Will said, this is the last issue of Ditko's run. So this is basically we're going to have many endings. We're like the Lord of the Rings of podcasts. That's right. This is the first ending of our podcast because we're getting toward the end. Actually, we already had one ending, right? The end of the Master Planner saga was sort of an ending. The emotional end. Yeah. Yeah. And now this is the end of our stated intent of doing all the Ditko issues. That's right. And then we're going to do two more episodes after this. So we have two more endings planned. Yeah, this is the final Ditko issue, which was our original scope of this podcast. And we're going to do one more issue that does the the next two Spidey issues to kind of like talk about the transition into the next era of Spidey comics. Plus, that's a really good story. It's a good story. And, And these last few haven't been that good. So we wanted to end on a better story. Yeah. And then uh, after after next episode, which will be which will cover the next two issues, we'll do one final actual returning to the Shire um, wrap up where Kevin and I will discuss what we've learned and how we've changed. Yeah, we'll go through some reader mail uh, that we have we've gathered since uh, our last few episodes and uh, just talk about stuff in general. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about some dangling plot threads that will be left uh, still dangling at the end of these uh, stories. Cool. Um, And then we might come back at some point, right? We'll talk about that in our last episode. I I imagine we'll do episodes here and there, but we'll, we'll figure it out and talk about it in our, in our actual last episode, which is two episodes from now. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's, um, Kevin, this is issue 38. It's called Just a Guy Named Joe. Yep. It came out in July 1966. Uh-huh. Was there anything special going on in Marvel Comics when this was published? Uh, the Black Panther was on the cover of Fantastic Four. Oh, cool. Um, I think I mentioned that last uh, episode that he was going to debut um, in this uh, month. And he does. Nice. Fantastic uh, Four, love- as we've said, is sort of just on a awesome tear right now. Yeah, uh, I love the original Black Panther story, um, and I and all the Fantastic Four stories that are coming up around now. It's really a tremendous, a, a, a tremendous run. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, Kirby and Lee are still getting along decently well. 
that helps. Yeah. Yeah. I think they always had a better relationship than Lee and Ditko. I think just because Jack Kirby was a more normal human being than Steve Ditko. They did, but I think around issue like 70 or so, even though that was like over two years before he left, it started to cr- started to crumble. It's too bad. Because I think that's when, um, I just read about this, that's when Silver Surfer was going to debut in his own title, drawn by John uh, Buscema. Yeah. And I don't think Kirby liked that. Because uh, he was not included in that and like his character, basically. Yeah. And I think Lee considered it his character because he really liked writing dialogue for Silver Surfer. And I think that was the first fissure in their important relationship. Hmm. It's got to be so strange when um, just huge, huge success enters into the picture. Like when these guys started doing Marvel Comics in 61 and 62 – uh, you know, it was a small company that I think had not that much attention, but now we're getting into where it's clearly a huge, huge hit and somebody's going to be making a lot of money and the artists are beginning to realize it's not them. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, frustrating for them to say the least. Yeah. Uh, and Titka was the first person to kind of get out of there, but Kirby would be next. And those two guys are. Those two with Lee are the founding fathers of this uh, Marvel empire. That's right. Um, Now we're going to go over some – usually here we do whatever news is in the current Spider-Man universe or podcast news. We've gone over the podcast news, our plan to next couple episodes. And we're going to save a little bit of current Spider-Man news for the reader mail section. But I do have a question for you, Kevin. Sure. I'm ready for it. Under the guise of current Spider-Man universe news, how are you doing at the PlayStation 4 game? I am uh, uh, slow. I haven't played the last few nights. I haven't had time. I've been watching baseball playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I am getting better at doing Spider-Man things. I still get beat up a lot, and it's embarrassing. Uh, And the game's sort of like if you lose a fight, if it's like just a normal fight, you just kind of wake up and the fight's not there anymore and there's no yeah. mention of it. And it's like, yeah. okay. And if it's like a major fight, they just let you keep trying. Okay. Like if it's against like the shocker or whatever, you just reload and do it again. And generally when I'm fighting the big guys, I have to reload at least once. I okay. die at least once in those. And I've, every time I lose though, a, a minor mugging and I sort of wake up and it's never been there. It feels embarrassing. It feels like the universe is like, you're not ready for this. <laughs> The comic book version of the journey you're on in that video game would be unsuccessful, I think. I would have been unmasked and killed by now. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't happen. I just wake up sitting on a flagpole somewhere (laughs) and I go about my duty. I just got the Spider-Man 2099 costume and that's fun to wear for me because I like that series. That's cool. I tend to like wear the new costumes for a little bit and then I always go back to the traditional comic book costume. Okay. Yeah, you're um you're a gimmick fashion horse. Sucker for the new trends. I'll wear it for a little bit, see how it looks in the light, see how it looks when I'm swinging around, but uh, mm-hmm. I always want to go back to the costume that I'm used to. Gotcha. And uh it's good. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh the story is cool. Uh Otto Octavius is slowly going crazy, I think. He's like my uh boss. Right. Um and very clearly I know who he becomes, so I assume he's on that journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he, every time he calls me, he's like a little crazier. 
Um, Norman is mayor. Norman Osborne is mayor. And that's a fun role for him. Yeah. There's fun little things like that. There's lots of changes to the mythos. uh, But I feel like it's still true to the essence of the character. And none of them really bother me, particularly as an adaption. Like Mary Jane is a reporter in this version. And I prefer her not to be just because I think reporters overused as superheroes, girlfriends job because of Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I see it pop up just a little too often, but I like it's good. Mary Jane is well-written and she's fun. Uh, And there's always a bit of Mary Jane, especially later day Mary Jane that I always feel like comes off as like, she's better than Peter Parker, but she's too good for him. Right. And there's a bit of that there. And I kind of dig that. Like you'd be lucky to have her not, Oh, he's Spider-Man. He should get whatever girl he wants. It's like, nah, he'd be lucky to be with Mary Jane. Right. I don't know if that's true in the original Mary Jane story so much, but it definitely feels like it's more true. Definitely of the slot era and definitely true in this video game. Um, I disapprove. I think that women should be in the submissive role. Right. I feel like you're and, mistiming that statement. Um, I just, uh, one of the mottos I have is I never believe women in any mm-hmm. context. Sure. Sure. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's a great, and by great, I mean, terrible line about women in this issue. Oh yeah. This is a fun one. Yeah. Um, let's get, let's get into this issue actually. Um, what did you think about it? So this is the very final Steve Ditko issue. Well, uh, I'm going to. Well, right yeah. off the bat, this cover is interesting because Ditko didn't draw this cover. Oh, I didn't know that. This is all images lifted from the interior of this. Comic. He drew the images, but like he didn't draw this as a cover. Those bottom three. Pa- so basically it's like a large shot of Spider-Man leaping forward and then three boxes below him and a bunch of text. And all of this is directly lifted from the comic. So it's a real desperation cover. Yeah. I think Ditko quit and they didn't have a cover. <laughs> um, it doesn't look so bad. Like his panels are so nice that if you take one and blow it up, it's not a bad cover. No, it's great. I mean, it's basically, it's interesting that they didn't always do covers this way. Cause it, it it's more true. Like you're seeing a glimpse of what's inside this comic. Um, but yeah, like this this pose of Spider-Man, when we get into the comic, you'll see it again where he's like leaping over a car or something. They yeah. just lift it out the background. And those other three are just sort of zoomed in panels. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, I thought this story was not great. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's weird. Like if it was a little funnier, I've said the same thing about the um, Craven story that took place right after the uh, Master Planner saga. Yeah. Um, and maybe even a little bit with the robots one, the molten man story was just sort of bad. Uh, but I feel like if it was a little funnier, a little lighter, a little sillier, it would feel like a great filler episode. Yeah. Uh, And then like, it sort of feels like, Oh, maybe we're ramping up to like the next big storyline. Right. Um, you know, we are, but not by Ditko. But if like Ditko came in with like another big storyline in a few issues, these stories would look, I'd look back on them more fondly. Though I still think they're paced a little odd. I think I think Ditko knew drawing this issue that this was his last one. I think he finished it just because he is a professional. Right. Just to finish the task at hand. Yeah. But like there's there's panels that sort of just look like the background sort of drops out for like a page and Lee clearly doesn't care. 
Like they right. both know that this relationship is ending and they're just having one last date. Yeah. Um, definitely the Ditko run ends, uh, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Um, however, I do think this story relative to the bad stories is a little bit, this is better than the molten man stories. There's a little more heart to it and there's a little bit more character to the villain. It's closer than some of the others, I think. Yeah. And that's where I just think like, and uh, this maybe is more on Stan Lee at this point, or if like he had put more humor into this issue, yeah. which probably would be easier if he was talking to Ditko and had a better feel for the story. Uh, it would be more fun, but it doesn't feel like it's funny enough for a story about a guy just named Joe. <laughs> yeah. The name of the issue, I think we said it once briefly is just a guy named Joe. Um, and it's sort of a hallmark of if the issue is going to be bad when they haven't bothered to like name the villain. Well, that also probably means they haven't thought out his story a ton means that Stan Lee, who does the dialogue, isn't that invested. Uh, so it's usually a bad sign when the name is something kind of extremely first thought or no thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it, it's, it's not funny enough to be funny. So it ends up just sort of being bland to me. It's definitely better than the Molten Man stories, but that's a pretty low bar. Uh, I think I enjoyed the robot issues last month, last week for our podcast, last month for the issue a little bit more, even though that wasn't great. Um, Should we get into the actual issue? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, These first two pages. So basically what this is, this is a story, a a Spider-Man villain, just a guy named Joe. And it's one in a series of like, you know, nobody gets super strength who they can punch really hard and um and spidey fights them uh, yeah and the only difference for this guy versus like the molten man or um who's the, the other really strong guy, or the looter is that he seems like he's a good guy and there's something like getting the powers did something to his head temporarily yeah you feel more sympathy for this one which is why i think the story's got more potential and the first two pages actually I think it looks like it's going to be kind of a great, sweet coda for Steve Ditko. Um, and it reminds me of an old Will Eisner type of story where it's like this kind of like blue collar Joe from the streets. He's a boxer. That's a real like old timey New York short story setting. You know, I feel like I feel like Twilight Zone episodes and short stories from the 50s and 60s, every other guy was a boxer or trying to be a boxer. I think that was just like a real aspirational thing for people making stories in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I guess it seemed like a thing anyone could do. If you worked hard enough, you could get in the ring and punch somebody. And if you beat them, you're somebody. Yeah, you'd be famous and rich or something. Um, Yeah, I think these first couple pages are really fun. uh, And it made me hope that you were right in your memory that the story was pretty good. And maybe you did find it pretty good, but I I ended up not. It was a good start, I think. So we see this guy named Joe. He's trying to be a boxer, but the basic story is he's a loser. Like he just is, he's got no talent. Um, Everybody makes fun of him. I mean, he looks great. He looks like a handsome, strong guy. Yeah, but... They show him trying to box. He's he he's very persistent. He begs a guy to be his manager in panel two. In panel three, he gets a fight, and the caption is during the first minute of the first round, he's knocked out. 
Which yeah, is really, and really somebody, funny. Somebody watching just goes, well, that takes care of that. Yeah. Uh, he tries wrestling, and even though it's a prearranged script, accidentally falls out of the ring and then loses too early. Yeah, he falls way out of the ring. He's thrown out. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I enjoyed that. But his manager kind of feels bad for him and gets him a job as an extra in a TV movie. Um, yeah, and- I don't know what this movie could be about where this part is one day of shooting. He's basically cast as like a villain destroying a set or destroying yeah. like a lab. Yeah, he because- seems, seems like he's the main villain. Yeah, it seems like he'd be the main villain of whatever this movie is, but they only need him for one day to wreck something. So I don't understand. I think there's I don't know who wrote this movie. They did a bad job. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, On page three, the big event happens, which is like he's punching so enthusiastically that some debris breaks a light. The light gets some like balsa wood flies into a light and the light falls into some real chemicals that are on the set from a previous scene. I don't know why they had real chemicals. Yeah, and the chemicals soak to Joe, shock him, and this is what gives him his powers and also kind of like temporarily disturbs his mind. Yeah, like for the rest of the story, as long as he has powers, there's these like spots floating around his head. When his strength is activated, he's kind of goes into a delusional mode where he just punches like crazy and thinks he's fighting back against everyone who's ever made fun of him. Yeah. And then those spots will go away and his real personality will come back and he's normal. And I think he doesn't have his strength in those times. Yeah, I think so. I think that's actually kind of a cool villain compared to some of these other guys we've had. Like it's, it's emotional. Like I think this could really, I think it's so close to being good that it frustrates me Yeah, how, I, how it, lame it gets. How much better would it be if Spider-Man knows that this guy doesn't fully have control, but Spider-Man mostly just treats him like, oh, here's another guy for me to punch. Right, right. And there's some fun moments with that even, but I'd love it if Spider-Man knew, saw this guy and realized like, oh, this guy doesn't want these powers, doesn't really have these powers, doesn't have control of himself when he has them. I just need to minimize the damage and get him help. Yeah, I have to stop this guy kind of without hurting him because I feel bad for him. It's kind of a, it'd be a cool little dilemma. Um, but yeah, this is an argument for how good Stan Lee is. I, I feel like Stan Lee, although, you know, he's so famous and he's so successful. It's not like he needs defending. But amongst hardcore comic book nerds, Stanley sometimes gets a hard time because we know that Steve Ditko, for example, is doesn't have his due in the general population's yeah. estimation. And so I think people understandably but wrongheadedly trash Stan. They're like, well, Ditko was the genius and Stan didn't do anything. We've said it many times. They're they're better when they're working together. And I think when Ditko would talk to Stan, Stan did have a knack over being like, well, we need another little twist here, or that's too many ideas, or here's a better name for that guy. Like with, you know, with, without being too hands-on, I, I basically think Stan Lee was one of the most genius editors of comic book stories that ever was. And the main problem was when he calls himself a writer, he's over-crediting himself, but he should just be like, the most brilliant editor slash development guy in comic book history. He's like editor story consultant. Yeah. Dialoguer. Yeah. It's kind of a weird special job that he was great at. And when, and when he wasn't involved, whether it's cause he didn't pay attention or cause the artist wasn't, was angry with him. Story suffers. 
Yeah, I mean, Stanley is definitely not without fault. He did a lot of things wrong. He wouldn't have had Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and other creators leave Marvel if he was better at handling that stuff. Yeah. But he also doesn't deserve zero credit for these great stories. He is one of the creative forces. You know, it's... uh, We've said it the whole time, but uh, it's the... I always feel best saying Spider-Man has, you know... Two creators, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Those are the guys. You couldn't have done it without either one of them. And they both did great. And whenever one of them is slacking off, it falls apart. Yep. Uh, All right. So let's move on here. So this guy gets his powers and his little spots around his head. Then we finally get to Peter Parker at the end of page three. And we do get the little apology caption from Stan Lee that he does a lot when we don't see Spidey right away. Yep. While Joe Smith is resting, we... Just remembered that you might also be interested in the activities of Peter Parker. (laughs) Yeah. And we see Peter coming back to the bugle and J. Jonah Jameson, his insane boss, still can't hold on to his secretary, which has been true since Peter's old love interest, Betty Brandt, quit. Yeah. And and Jonah makes a smart observation here. He blames Peter for Betty quitting. He's right, I think. He's absolutely right. Uh, it's your fault Betty Brant quit her, her job here. The best secretary I ever had. It's because you had some kind of argument with her. Yeah, if Peter never dated Betty or broke up with her or whatever, all of a sudden Jonah still got his best secretary. He's right to blame Peter. Hey, this guy's a good reporter for a reason. You know, he's not just Mr. Threat or Menace <laughs> editorial. He sometimes makes observations that are kind of true. Um, this next I thing mean, I... Oh, it yeah. works out better for Betty in the long run. She's better to quit being his secretary. Yeah, this this guy's a jerk, especially <laughs> especially in this phase of his character development. Yes. Um, page four is interesting. This is something I didn't I'd forgotten about. Peter sees his rival for Betty Brant's affection, Ned Leeds, the reporter yeah, of the Daily Bugle, so, the old cradle robbing Ned Leeds. Yeah, it was implied in previous issues because Ned Leeds was gone and Betty was gone that they had run off together. But Peter didn't know that. He was just assuming that. He runs into Ned and finds out that never happened. No one knows where Betty is. Yeah, she left and she didn't tell Ned either. Uh, I think that's so interesting. I'm like, ooh, that's kind of a cool move. Like Betty, Betty's showing her old independence again where um, she's kind of a kind of a a hurt loner. Yeah. Um, Uh, It's an intriguing story that is not resolved in this issue. Nope, it's not resolved in this issue or in the next two. So it's not resolved in our podcast. Though That's one of those things I might talk a little bit about in our epilogue episode. That is a good thing that Ditko and or Ditko or Ditko and Stan, I don't know who, in the like sort of last 15 issues, they really start planting a lot of seeds for the future, which I think is cool. Like it's not all completely self-contained. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, the Osbournes being a big part of that, Gwen Stacy being part of that, Betty being a part of that. These ongoing uh, soap opera plots. And it's a shame that we never get to see Ditko be a hand in building those up to the next level. But yeah. Uh, So after Peter sort of discovers that Ned Leeds doesn't know where Betty is, we cut back to our villain. And um, now he's about to film a scene. There's spots flying around his head. Unbeknownst to them, he's got super strength. So when they roll action, he beats the crap out of everybody and is throwing them around like they're dolls. Yeah, again, this guy is clearly the main villain of this movie that they needed for one day. They're treating him like it. They're calling him an extra. 
Yeah, that's. I know not, he doesn't have lines, and I know he's his face isn't seen. That's not an extra, <laughs> you know. This is a middle-aged New York comic book writer's view of the movies. Ironic he's because Boris, Stan Lee, he is Boris Karloff. I mean, basically, he's Frankenstein. No lines, but in a huge important part of this movie. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of weird because Stan Lee, within ten years, will be like Joey Hollywood. You know, he moves out to L.A. and like basically runs Marvel for the rest of his life. Or, uh, you know, is is hugely involved in Marvel's uh, TV and movie projects, starting from the mid-70s, I think. But uh, judging from his view of the movies right now, he's not ready for that job. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Rex, he beats everybody up, but the director wants to keep filming because it looks great. And in the, and he and the and our and our guy, Joe Smith, kind of goes into a rampage and bursts out into the street and just starts throwing cars around. And he's not the first Spider-Man villain to instinctively just throw cars around. Yeah, when you've got super strength, I mean, I've never had it, but I got to assume your instincts are, I got to toss a car. Yeah, I got to go immediately find a car and, and a, preferably a sedan and throw it. I don't know if it's because everybody in these universe has read comic books and they've seen Action Comics number one, where Superman's holding a car over his head. You know, the iconic first cover of Superman comics. I've heard of it. And um, yeah, have, you, have you ever heard about Superman, the character I've Superman? Heard of him. Oh, you'd love yeah. him. You'd love him. you got to read I some Superman. I think he will. I think he'll catch on eventually. Yeah. Oh, he's a he's a cult fave. Uh, anyway, um, Peter's walking around lost in thought over his love life and just stumbles on to our dude and instantly changes into the costume. And we kind of have our first uh, fight here. Yeah, and so we're like six issues in, and I think so far six this pages. comic has been six pages, sorry, uh, 38 issues and six pages in. I think this first six pages are pretty good, but I start losing interest around now. Uh, yeah, this is where it kind of, they, they don't follow through in anything. And, and it's all well drawn up to this point, like the backgrounds are great, like even Peter sort of stumbling onto this and not, all again, lost in thought. He's always lost in thought and like rubble almost hitting him. That's fun. Yeah, and he, um, so this Spidey has this fight, and he kind of doesn't know who this guy is, and he's discovering how strong he is. There's some there's some good Spidey jokes in here. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about the fact that this guy is not talking at all, and Spider Man's doing all of the talking. Yeah, um, and and also internal monologues over like, wow, this guy's kind of strong, and he actually manages to throw Spidey into a dumpster and get away from him. But if you look here, page seven, the last panel, that's from the cover. Uh, yes, that's right. I see. I see that. that. That's the first one, I think, of the cover images. Uh, yeah, this guy is he's handling Spider-Man well. And at this point, if Spider-Man sort of realized that this guy wasn't out of control or something or the manager talked to Spider-Man. Yeah. I think this story maybe goes to the next level. Instead, this guy sort of beats up Spider-Man, throws him in the dumpster, walks off. Yeah. And the last line for Spider-Man is pretty fun here. On page eight. Uh, first time I've ever owed a guy some wax without even knowing what he calls himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where's the bit where he um, – oh, yeah, the bottom of page seven is kind of fun where Spidey's commenting on what usually happens. Yeah, right. Spidey in, in commenting how this dude is not speaking. I've never met a modest costume scrapper before. Usually they start off by saying nobody can defeat the purple panty waist or you fool. Don't you realize you've no chance against the human windshield wiper? And uh, first of all, I think that's funny. I think that is funny. And I think Stan is pretty good about like make, even though he's making his living off of comics and always has, he's kind of good at making fun of the tropes of it 
what you know when it's appropriate to sometimes even when it's not appropriate to like stands a little uh stands a little stinker sometimes and i love it i mean that line is making fun of stan nobody else is responsible for that dialogue (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) so nobody else is telling him to write that dialogue that's something stan writes now he is making fun of the fact that it happens all the time yeah uh and Spider-Man even follows it up with, you may be a mass of muscles, but when it comes to small talk, forget it. It's funny. And that's funny, too. So the manager has a soft heart for this guy and whisks him away. Seeing now that he's in major trouble, that he's like tussled with Spider-Man, thrown a bunch of cars around, agrees to kind of get him into hiding and try to help him out, uh, kind of whisks him away. So we cut away from that action and we go to another subplot, which is the plot of Norman Osborn. Yeah, we don't see Norman's hair here, but we're told it's Norman. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't look too much like Norman. This is where Steve's drawing maybe starts to get a little rushed. Or there's always a chance that it wasn't Norman. Uh, but it has to be. I can't ima- I can't think of who else it would be. Yeah, it looks like they're setting up. And he's talking to Harry, so yeah, it must be Norman. Norman, who will be revealed to be the Green Goblin in a couple issues. I know that's like a surprise whatever, at this point, but that's what they're setting up for. So Flash Thompson and Harry Osborn, Norman's son, are college buds, are driving around. They th- yeah, Flash, Flash thinks to himself, what a great guy Mr. Osborn is. <laughs> yeah. Flash, Good judge of character. Yeah, Flash is a... Uh, you should not trust Flash's instincts on who the good guys are. <laughs> Peter Parker's a jerk, but you know who you can trust? Norman Osborn. That's right. Norman puts on a pretty effective mask and then okay. and it what's that? I think it's a goatee and glasses, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, it works. I don't recognize him. And uh, yep. <laughs> and he goes to a meeting with all of the heads of the different mobs. These guys get together when anyone calls. Yeah. In the Spider-Man universe, the heads of the mafias are ready for a group meeting, I think, at the drop of a hat. Like, they'll never know who the person is or what their idea is or somebody with – I think I could call a meeting of the yeah. mobs. And they and the first thing they'd say to me is like, what's the big idea here, Will Hines? Yeah. They, they're on a Google group. You email them. <laughs> You're like, hey, can we guys all meet at the lobby of this hotel? Yeah. They're like, we'll be there, but – we're not interested. <laughs> it's so funny. And and I don't know where they keep – all these guys are always in their mid-50s, but every five issues, they all get thrown in jail. So it's like are they getting replaced by another group of guys in their mid-50s or are they just being let out of jail? Like what's happening with these mobsters? I mean the mob in New York City is badly run. <laughs> it's badly run, but – I mean, they must pay well. They all dress well. I think they're doing okay. Oh, yeah. They're snappy dressers, and they're all smoking like chimneys, too. <laughs> all right. So Norman Osborn's plan is basically to offer them a boatload of money for someone to get rid of Spider-Man. He's basically putting a bounty on Spider-Man's head. Yeah. $20,000 in 1966 money. Yep. And as one of our nameless mafia heads says, with all that bread waiting for us, he ain't got a chance. Yep. Then he starts smoking. <laughs> yep. So that's that situation. Now we go to Pete's college, and this is where this is a really interesting. Um, we get yeah, a real is, right. Uh, we get a real right wing view of college campuses here. Yeah, Stanley doesn't have a high image, or maybe Ditko, or both. I think probably both, but I think mostly Steve Ditko. I used to think this was Stanley, but from what I've read of Ditko, I think he would not be into the liberal protest voice. 
Yeah, I mean, that's for sure true. Uh, there's aspects of it that seem like a little Stan Lee, sort of just like lazy students and stuff like that. But that could also be Ditko. Uh, it's bad. So, you know, this is 1966. So there's a student protest. This is the beginning of the portrayal of the 60s counterculture in Spidey comics, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, we're not far off from Flash Thompson going to Vietnam. Yeah, this is this is like a really weird thing that we're not going to get into in the Steve Ditko run. But like. American life in the late 60s gets so crazy that – and you know, Spider-Man lives in the real world in New York City. Of course, it's a comic book version of the world. But you know, things become so dramatic and high stakes and intense, especially for teenagers um, and especially issues of right and wrong and who do you trust, the government, you know, the, the cops um, – that it's impossible for the Spider-Man comics to ignore them, but also Spider-Man comics don't have the subtlety and nuance to really address these issues properly. So you get these very clumsy comic book pulpy representation of serious things like being drafted for a war. Yeah, it's a war is an interesting thing in comics because it inspired the early comics, right? It inspired Superman and Captain and America, Captain America, yeah. uh, it, but it, it was such a great thing for stories, not a great thing for really anything else, uh, but a great thing for stories because it was like there's good guys and there's bad guys and we need somebody who can step up and just defeat these bad guys easily. Yeah, that'd be the best thing possible. But now we're in Vietnam where it's like, well, who's bad? Yeah. And, did, and why did we start this? And is it really necessary? And, and how many people are going? And like. Um, and so these characters that are created with the idea of just like, hey, if you punch the bad guy hard enough, you win, are now in a world where it's like maybe you shouldn't punch him. Yeah, uh, and it's a, it's. Um, uh, I haven't studied this a, a ton. I bet you there are people who have really dug into this a lot. But even my casual knowledge of comics is like, it's it takes a while for comics to catch up with this kind of subtlety. I think they do a much better job later with this stuff. But at this point, they're not ready for it. Yeah, I think they do a decent job now dealing with like being in touch with like uh, the, the, you know, mainstream or, or mass market feelings towards things. They're, yeah, they are expressing a viewpoint, the viewpoint of guys in their mid 40s who probably served in World War Two, um, uh, who. Um, who yeah originally did the war stories of like pro America? Uh, yeah, they served because you were supposed to. Yeah, and you know we're, we're and we're, now their kids yeah. are not serving. Yeah, we're seeing their viewpoint, and um, I don't know, it's it's fascinating, and 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 it's just such a, such a different time from the early Spidey comics. I mean, yeah, even over Spider Man's run, it changes so much because in the early days, all cops are good. The bad guys need a punch in the face. That works. There's nothing more complicated than that. Um, what do you? So here, here we see on page ten the student protest, and basically what happens is Peter just sort of, well, they, they kind of make they they are a parody of a protest. They make fun of themselves. Yeah, basically, this, this is a terrible protest. If this is what protests were like, uh, Ditko would be right. But it's you know obviously this is not true in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, Peter sees a protest happening and his response is, it figures. Well, the first thing is um, some... Oh, no. They're protesting tonight's protest meeting. Yeah, so that lets us know where the comic feels about protests. Yeah. And then um, 
somebody says, hey, Parker, not so fast. We can use another man to carry a sign. Come on, join in the protest march. Peter says, not me. I haven't got time. Besides, I have nothing to protest about. And then their response is, nothing to protest about. What are you, some kind of religious fanatic or something? What's the matter? Aren't you interested in saving the world? Anyway, it's an excuse to cut classes. Maybe you'll get your picture in Newsweek. Right. So right away, they sell themselves out. It's like, oh, this is just a way to get out of classes and to be noticed. That's the real reason we're protesting, says these students. Yeah. Uh, They're already – and they're dressed – the fashion that Steve Ditko has given them is already kind of nuts. The person in panel five kind of looks like someone who – He stands way out. Yeah. Uh, He or she looks like they're either – should be in the Scooby-Doo Mystery Mobile or in uh, Dr. Teeth's Muppet Band. Uh, one of those two. Yeah. Come on, Parker. If you join our protest meeting, we'll join one of yours sometimes. And if you've got nothing to protest, uh, and if you've got nothing to protest, don't worry about it. That won't stop us. And Peter wants nothing to do with it. He is a duty-oriented good boy. But then they give him a really hard burn here, Will. Yeah, when he says he doesn't want anything to do with it, they burn him pretty hard. Ah. Uh, your cousin likes Lawrence Welk. <laughs> Not him, his cousin. Yeah, that really gets you, you know? Go on. I, it, go on back to. It matters a lot to me what my cousin watches on television. You better not talk trash about my cousin's musical taste, or you're looking for a fight. Uh, come on back to Squaresville, you rosy cheeked reactionary. Go on back. No, come on back. These guys, no, these, go on these guys don't live in Squaresville, anything but. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a, a pretty, pretty harsh uh, face of reality that Peter Parker just had to deal with. Uh, but what we really learn here is that um, the, his normal gang, Gwen Stacy, Flash Thompson, Harry Osborn, still hates Peter. Yeah, it's not too far off from them all becoming friends, but they're not there yeah. yet. Uh, okay, so we cut back to our villain. The manager has gotten him back to his apartment. Oh, this is a weird caption. The top of page 11. Oh, yeah, this is really well, weird. We're cutting back now to see what's going on with the villain, and the caption is, students, all together now, switch scenes, switch. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I wonder if the DC Comics guys, you know, who are a, kind of like a more established comic book thing, and there's more people working at DC, read these Marvel comics, and like, what's going on over there? Is anybody copy editing this stuff? <laughs> um. So our dude's feeling woozy. The manager is realizing it's got something to do with those chemicals, and he kind of doesn't know what to do. Yeah, this is a guy who was sort of didn't even want to be this guy's manager. It's really he's an interesting story. He, he his heart's really going out to him, and he's really going above and beyond to try to help old Joe Smith. Then we cut to the villains uh, who are all figuring out how they're going to like get get rid of Spider Man for Norman Osborn's reward money. Another great caption here. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the headquarters of what might be called Hoods Incorporated. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> Hoods Incorporated. I'd work there. Uh, I greenlight that comic book. <laughs> then we cut back to college. Peter, as always, is working with science equipment. All his friends are making fun of him. And so he decides he's going to go get back into costume and seek out the no-named dude that beat the crap out of him earlier. Yep, that's right. And uh, on page 12, we see another one of the panels that's on the cover. Oh, yeah. The fourth panel. Yeah, that's right. Um, Joe Smith is waking up, and he's, his delusion is coming back. He sees photos of himself as a boxer, and he says, everything I do goes wrong. I was born a failure, and I'll die a failure. I'm just a bum. 
And he's so angry, he starts punching the wall. And he's so strong, he punches a huge hole in this, I think, stone wall. He lives in a stone apartment building. Yeah, I mean, that's New York, man. They used to, they don't build them like that. Pre-war building. Uh, Just to carve them out of the the mountains. (laughs) And uh, he's, his delusion starts up again. And he kind of storms out of his apartment, shoves his manager out of the way. And he heads into the street to just cause mayhem, I think. Yeah, and there we see panel five of page 13. That's the main cover yeah, image. Yeah, it's a good drawing. Tilted just a little yeah. bit. Um, Spider-Man's having trouble because every criminal in the city is trying to beat him up right now because of Harry Osborne's reward money. So he's getting attacked from all sides. Like normal people that he can handle, but it's sort of relentless is what it's described as. Yeah, this is a lots of people. He doesn't know why. It's like somebody suddenly declared open season on Spider-Man. This is very close to a good issue. We got a number of cool different plates spinning here. Um, yeah, but similar to the Craven story where they had all the gang members kind of rush in on Spider-Man. It just it doesn't feel like it it's ever – It's a little empty and it's about to totally go yeah. south. So Joe Smith goes to his boxing gym and he beats up all of his old friends. That kind of breaks my heart because he really wanted – I don't know. There's something really tragic about that. We also missed – uh, I, I hate to go back to this. We missed a, the terrible line about females. Oh, Should we talk about let's that? Let's do real quick? it. Yeah, yeah. That's page five. Oh yeah, way back. The, the the first panel. First panel. On page five. Oh yeah. This is right after Peter is walking away from the Daily Bugle, and he's sad about Betty Brant. Yeah, he saw Ned Leeds, and he sort of said, "Like, I don't care about her." Um. She'd be better off with Ned anyway, he thinks to himself, because he could date her. And he thinks to himself, perhaps I should have told Betty the truth about myself from the beginning. Everything might have been different if she if she knew that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then he thinks, but I can't be sure. No one can predict a female's reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like any feelings over Peter moments like that, you're like, well, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. Well, the word female really, uh, as as we've said before, is like. It's always peak Stan Lee treating women like foreign uh, alien creatures when he says female. Yeah, it's it comes off as a slur. <laughs> so uh, back to page 14. Joe Smith is beating yeah. the crap out of all of his old cohorts at the gym. I can't really call them friends. And Yeah, he goes there sort of to prove that he could have been a great boxer and they're up for the challenge of beating up this guy, which is cruel of yeah. them. He's also walking around in a movie costume. Uh, but he's got super strength, uh, so he... he he kind of wipes the floor with him. Yeah, beats him up fast and easy. And that's nice, like, right? That should be like a really fun moment. He's getting the comeuppance. But these guys weren't necessarily portrayed as jerks enough for that to really feel good. Yeah. Um then sp- though they're turned they turn out these boxers all turn out to also be criminals because they all know about the twenty thousand right, dollar reward. Spidey happens to be walking by, comes into the gym here, recognizes the dude at, yeah, as the dude who beat him up earlier. And when he enters the gym, all of the boxers are, I guess, part-time criminals who know about the reward, and they also want to beat up Spider-Man. Yeah, so everybody attacks Spider-Man at once. And this is the third time that we now go into a fight sequence where Stan just doesn't do anything, and it's all sound effects. Yeah, page 16 uh, and the top of page 17 is just sound effects. And here, like, this feels like it... it, it could be fun, but these just feel like they need oh, yeah, Spider-Man's humor. Do. Stan blew it. Stan blew it. But uh, I think he just didn't care. He knew Ditka was leaving. He was preparing to work with Romita. 
And he just didn't care. Top of page 17, panel two, Spidey lands a heck of a punch. I can't imagine. I'm sorry. I can't imagine phoning it in, even if you're not working with the artist that well. Like, you're number one or at, at worst, number two character. Yeah. Maybe the Fantastic Four are the number one book. But this is right up there. I, I agree with you. It's um, it's it's unfathomable that you wouldn't just put work into your top property. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, like, I think they grind these things out. I think it also shows a little cynicism on Stan's part. He's like, ah, the fans will come back next issue. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just like it'll sell no matter what I he's do. He's kind of right. Spidey didn't, like, ever, like, miss a beat. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm still a fan, so uh, it worked. Good I mean, job, it might Stan. be the kind of thing where if comics you only released when you were ready, he just wouldn't release this. But it's like you have to release one every month. So maybe he just wants to get through it. Um, he ends it with a fun caption, at least, which is, and now with one final pacow, we end our scintillating sound effects section. A smiling stand. Thanks to you, one and all, for the brief breather you've allowed. Top of page seventeen, the second panel, when Spidey really punches our Joe Smith guy hard. I um, mean, it looks like a heck of a smack. I think that's supposed to be that he's knocking like some sense into him. Like he basically breaks the spell with these punches. Yeah, just like World War II, punching hard enough solved the yeah. problem. And by the fifth panel, Joe is himself. Yeah, that's again. not really explained as it's happening, but retroactively, that's sort of what we realize happened. The cops show up, and there's sort of a happy ending for Joe, right? Like the cops yes. show up, and this dude's in trouble. He's like thrown cars around, he, he's done all this mayhem. But um, everybody's willing to drop charges because the the movie people have seen the footage that this guy did earlier. And it's so good. They, they want to wipe everything under the rug and still use him as an actor. They're going to be disappointed when they find out he doesn't have super strength and he was out of his mind the whole time. Yeah. But we don't see that. We just see his moment of redemption <laughs> where he gets hired as an actor and all the guys in the gym forgive him, uh, which reminds me a lot of LA. As soon as you get a job, everybody thinks you're great. Uh, it also sort of, I guess whoever's cars he wrecked don't aren't mad either. Yeah, and whoever's lives he almost threatened when he just walked around punching like aimlessly. Um, okay, so bottom of page 18, Spidey still has to deal with the city full of middle-aged hoods who are after him. Uh, and this really makes me laugh at the end. Uh, these, a bunch of criminals are rushing Spidey. One of them says, that 20 grand is as good as ours right now. And Spidey thinks, 20000 is that the reward offered for me? I wish I could claim it myself. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. But even this last page looks like it was not finished. Page 19? Yeah, page yeah. 19 looks really thrown together. Um, Spidey finishes off all these hoods, no problem. Uh, he sees a mannequin's dummy, because I guess that's where they are. That's not really established. And it reminds him of Ned Leeds, and he punches it with anger. That That is something that we are spared. If Steve Ditko had stayed on, I do think, like, I mean, this is a guy who, I don't even know if he ever had a romantic relationship. He certainly never got married. You know, he was an alienating dude. I think he would have not done well when it was time for Peter Parker to have friends and loved ones. Like, Ditko was sort of tailor-made for the alienated teenager. I don't know if he was great for the engaged 20-something Spidey. Maybe it was fate that made him quit and protecting the Spider-Man story. 
Yeah, I wish we got one more story out of him, like one more good action yeah. yarn, like another like two or three issue arc, and then ended yeah. there. That's asking for a lot, I realize, but it would have been. We have another look at Mary. Well, not a look, but we have another appearance of Mary Jane Watson, the bottom of page 19. Yep. Uh, she's her head is covered by a tree branch and then she drives off the next page in some sort of red car and uh, red. Convertible. Yeah. And Peter uh, has just missed her. Aunt May is distressed because she's really trying to get Peter to be with Mary Jane. Um. Uh, Peter was hoping it was Betty, so he's disappointed too. He turns on the TV and he hears that Joe Smith is now an actor and that he's being advertised as a guy who beat up Spider-Man, so Spidey looks bad. And uh, the last two panels are sort of a typical down ending. Aunt May says, "Oh, it's good you turned the TV off. Those some of those news items can give it, some of those news items can give a body nightmares." Peter walks up to his room. Not much chance in that case. Uh, not much chance of that in my case. I only have them when I'm awake. Yep, and that's it. That's the end of Titko's yeah. run. Um, yeah, it's a bummer that it's not a better story. He deserved better. Yeah, and as you said, it, this is better than the Molten Man story. It's probably on par with the robots now that I were through it. Um, I think I enjoyed the robots just a little bit yeah. more um, just cause the, the Norman, Norman stuff, stuff was, was really, more was fun really good that. in that. Yeah. You can, I basically, you can see uh, the skeleton of a great story here, but they didn't, they didn't finish it. Yep. Um, and that's the end of Steve Ditko. And I guess we'll talk more about that in our wrap up uh, episode, but uh, goodbye, Steve. Um, um, and they must have known it by this point because they had to throw together this cover. And I read online that even in the letters page, they talk about how Steve is leaving and John Romita is coming in next. Yeah. Uh, and they also, I think, advertised that uh, Ditko's last Doctor Strange issue is out. Yeah. I wonder if that was big news at the time or if it was the type of thing where people really weren't worried about the behind the scenes so much. I mean, it's, you get your comics off a newsstand. Some people probably don't read those letters. I don't know. It probably wasn't a big deal. Should we give it our awards? Yeah, let's do it. Um, panel. Do you have a favorite panel? Um, I probably do. I'm going to be boring. I'm going to – well, I'll do something a little different. I'll pick the bottom of page 14, panel 6. There's like a silhouetted Spidey – in the shadows watching Joe Smith beat the crap out of somebody. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to take the, uh, uh, fourth panel on the first page where he's getting thrown out of the wrestling. Yeah, that's ring. pretty good. It's just a fun. Co- I like Ditko's comedy. Yeah, he does good ones. Um, do you have a favorite piece of Stanley dialogue? Um, uh, before I get to that, my other I have another a panel. I also sort of another funny panel I like is the first panel on page four where uh, Peter's being yelled at by Jonah and he's sort of just like caught tiptoeing away. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I think that's very fun. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have a Ditko uh, a stand line? Yeah, the one you said. Um, Go on back to Squaresville, you rosy cheeked reactionary. Yeah. Um. I mean, that is a very good one. Uh, What do I, uh, what do I want? I think I'll take, um, I also could have picked any of Spidey's like wise cracks to the dude when he wasn't talking. I like Stan's weird captions in this issue. Yeah. I will probably pick one of those fight 
lines. Um, I'll take the one before the one we quoted, just because we had talked about it, where he, this guy's taking a swing at him and Spider-Man says, look, while we're still on speaking term, what's your name? I'd like to know who it is that's knocking my block off. <laughs> uh, and then he goes, won't talk, eh? Then I'll just have to keep saying, hey, you. <laughs> it's a fun exchange, yeah. Very funny. What's your highlight? Um, I guess my highlight is... Uh, the highlight of this issue is those first two pages. Yeah. Just sort of the setup to Joe. I'm going to, I have to pick the same one because it was really promising to me. Yeah. It does feel, it almost feels like a pre Spider-Man comic in the sense, like if Spider-Man yeah. wasn't in this, it feels like, oh, this is a pretty interesting start to a amazing fantasy story. Yep. Or a, yeah, I, I agree. Like a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, low light. I mean, the protesters. Yeah. It's really, it's, I mean, I'm glad that they do have the real world sneak in here, but it's just, uh, it's disappointing. I mean, you know, Stan can have whatever opinion he wants, but it feels a little unenlightened, I guess. Uh, protesting a protest meeting. We don't care what we're protesting. We're just cutting class. All that stuff just feels so annoying. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's some of that is the current political climate making me feel that way. Just someone sort of being dismissive of someone who cares. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it, it's you don't want to judge an earlier time by your current context, but uh, it's hard to separate it. And um, Stan could have a lot of empathy in some cases, and he didn't have it now. And I wish he did. I wish it was a little more nuanced, at least. Yeah, I think in Stan's mind, it was just meant to be a joke. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I'm I don't sure. think he'd be like, ah, you know, it's like I'm sure some of those yeah. kids are good, some of them are. It's just a joke. He wasn't. But it comes he was, off he, as he, like a uh, an insult. Yeah. He wasn't not, he was not bearing down too hard on it. That's for sure. No, it wasn't like something he was too invested in for this story. Um, all right. And, um, my low light is going to be, um, that page of sound effects. That's just so lame. Yep. Uh, all right. Those are our awards. Congratulations. Issue 38. I hope you enjoy those awards. You enjoy those awards. Um, should we move on to reader mail? Oh no, but should, should we do our recommendations of those other two? Let's do um, let's do reader mail first. Okay, that also sort of segues into the, those other two issues we're going to talk briefly about. Okay, so uh, we've got we've got I, I posted about trying to get some mail for our last few. We're recording decently ahead, so I've been posting on Twitter and Instagram to get some emails, and I've gotten a bunch. Uh, okay. We're going to just cover a few of them today. Okay, we'll get to some more later. But the first one I wanted to get is from a, a guy who's written us a few times, uh, Oliver. Yeah. Uh, has written us and he has this interesting thing about the looter issue that I didn't know about. Okay. I don't know if you have the issue of the looter in front of you, Will. I, I do. But if you look at page 13, the final panel. Okay. Getting there. I'm in the looter. Okay. Page 13. Yes. So describe that final panel. Spidey is, um, has run away from the looter. Uh, or he has, uh, he's gotten away from, uh, yeah, the, from the light thing. And he goes, I got out of there just in time, but I lost the looter. He could have run off in any direction. There's no way of knowing. So well, apparently that originally was drawn as the looter. Oh. Um, and not Spider-Man. So, and he sent me a link with this information. I'm just going to read a little excerpt from it. That makes way uh, more sense. Uh, and he's basically, uh, Oliver says, this is the... Uh, shows an example of the downside of Stan scripting over of a Ditko plot, particularly with them not talking, I assume. And this is an excerpt from the link he sent me. Stan decided 
that it was Spider-Man coming out to look for the looter and provided dialogue as such. Ditko would often leave notes on the side for stuff like this, but I guess he thought it was clear who it was meant to be. Ditko, though, decided to ink it as the looter. Roy Thomas later recalled, as part of Blake Bell's brilliant Strange and Stranger, the world of Steve Ditko, it came back inked as the looter. Stan was furious because he knew Steve always read the stories, but it decided he meant it to be the looter and drew it as such. Stan had Carl Hubble, a staff artist who would do corrections and art pieces, change the costume lines on the looter and add in the webbing for Spider-Man. Stan was furious, saying he knew, he knew, he did this on purpose. Steve didn't know anything about the change because by the time the issue came out, Steve was already gone from Marvel. Wow. Cool story. I did not know that. Yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. I had had no grasp of it. So, Oliver, thank you for sending that in. Yeah, cool story. Um, We got... uh, an email from, let's see, this is from Mike. Let me find it. Where is it? Oh, great. Oh, I, I didn't know this. Well, so this is from Mike. Uh, uh, I'm going to say his full name. I know I was not doing it for a while, but I'm going to do it. So here we go. Mike Dudley. Okay. First of all, he addresses us as, hello, you cowardly panty wastes. No, I love it. <laughs> uh, parentheses, he says, this letter is going to start out slow, but stick with me, true believers, as we wait for the action. This is great. <laughs> um. Uh, so uh, I'll just read the it's not that long an email as you wind down these last few Ditko issues I feel as though my favorite class of Spidey 101 is coming to an end <laughs> what, where else am I going to get the latest possible updates from the enforcers <laughs> uh, your frame by frame breakdowns of each issue bring me great joy with every episode I can't thank you enough uh, I would like to add to your list that Ditko created mm. the jack-o'-lantern do you remember this character well no the jack-o'-lantern he would show up in the eighties and nineties, he sort of, he had a pumpkin head that was like on flame and he kind of rode around on like a disc. Okay. Like I, I, do have a big, I do have a big memory of it. I always loved the design for Jack O'Lantern and he always just felt like another pumpkin themed goblin. Yeah. Esque character. Yeah. Well, he first appeared in machine man issue 19. Oh, wow. And that's when Ditko was drawing it. Yeah. This is Ditko comes back to Marvel eventually, and he draws some issues of Machine Man, a character that was created by Jack Kirby. And Ditko sort of takes over that comic. Crazy. And created the Jack-O-Lantern. Love it. Um, all right. I mean, I think that's legit. Yeah. I mean, so f- that's for real. Ditko created Jack-O-Lantern, but I had no idea. I always assumed Jack-O-Lantern was sort of a ripoff of other, Kirb- uh, other Ditko characters. Yeah. And if he was, he was by Ditko, so he's allowed to do it. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, let's see. Okay. Yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think it's fascinating also. Yeah. So then we got this email from Ryan Dowling and this is going to lead into the comics we wanted to talk about. Okay. Uh, Ryan Dowling, by the way, do you know Mark Dowling? Yes, I do know Mark Dowling. Well, he is the older cousin of UCB performer, Mark Dowling. Sure. Okay. And Ryan asks me to refer to him as such. Okay. <laughs> so I have, um, uh, so Ryan wrote up, he wanted to talk about the what if issue that just came out, uh, as of this recording, I think a week ago. So we're recording this on October 10th. So last week, I think this issue came out. Okay. Uh, it's what if flash Thompson becomes Spider-Man. Right. And, and I have now read this thanks to you, Kevin. Yes. Um, so let's talk about this issue real quick. Yeah. It's very pertinent to Ditko. It's a real Ditko referency issue. So first of all, what if comics, uh, it's not a regular series anymore, but it used to be a regular series that Marvel did where it took 
a Marvel story and changed one aspect of it to see how that would affect it. So like the first one was what if Spider-Man had joined the fantastic four when he went to ask to join, what if they said, yeah, join. Right. Um, and there'll be lots of things like that. Like, um, you know, uh, what if Loki got the hammer? I'm making that one up. I don't know if it's true. Um, what if uncle Ben had lived? Yeah. Uh, it's all things like that. So this one is what if flash Thompson became Spider-Man, which is interesting because, it sort of feels out of left field for him to be the person that gets Spider-Man's yeah. powers. Yeah. But it's a fun story. Uh, it's a really fun idea. Yeah. I, I love this issue. I thought it was like really cool. It was really sad and dark, um, but it was really interesting it's, and fun. It's really dark. It starts off also with Spider-Man fighting the masters of menace. Yeah. The, the crafty clown and uh, the snake lady and uh yeah, the human cannonballs, the, the flying gambonos, whatever their name is. Yeah, like the first page just shows Spider-Man beating the ever-living crap out of these guys. They're bleeding. Yeah, like uh, Flash Thompson does not hold back in the way that Peter Parker would have. Yeah, uh, yeah, we see a very vengeful, angry Spider-Man. Yeah, and I don't want to talk about the whole story in case people want to read it. I guess, or should we? Let's let's let's. Leave. It's just out. Let's let's respect spoilers. It's a brand new story. Um. But it's basically Flash Thompson. When he gets the powers, he quits school and just becomes Spider-Man. Yeah. But he doesn't become rich. No. He's, he doesn't make – he still is going out and fighting villains and stuff. He still is trying to be a superhero. Like he is – but he's following his own Flash Thompson code of what that means. And it's different than Peter Parker's. Yeah, he's beating up the losers. Yeah, he's beating up the losers. He's kind of like a really aggressive, uh, no tolerance kind of. Really, like, I think Ditko might be in, in favor of what Flash Thompson is doing. Really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's also a fun twist that Jonah in this world loves Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and that's because Spider-Man did not save John Jameson in like the second Spider-Man story. John Jameson is saved by Peter Parker. From his spaceship or first issue? Um, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man number one. So in the first issue, Spider-Man saves John Jameson from the uh, uh, a malfunction rocket launch. Yeah. But but Flash didn't do that because he's more into punching people. Uh, and so because Jameson wished someone like Spider-Man could have saved his son, he becomes a fan of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um... Like there's a headline, Hero or, or Hope. Yeah, that's shown in the background. Right, he's it's weird. Yeah, so they do a lot of like kind of twisting stuff around. But by the end of the story, and I'll say this in a non-spoilery way, a lot of the same tragedy of Peter Parker's story comes to bear in this one. Like there is still a lot of darkness and sadness. Uh, there is a moment of redemption of sorts. It's a really cool yeah. sort of mirror image of the Peter Parker story, and it uses tons of visual references to classic Steve Ditko moments. Yeah. The master planner saga definitely comes in. As we said, the masters of menace are in there. Uh, obviously uncle Ben is alive. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Yeah. If you're a fan of the Ditko issues, this is a really satisfying read. Yeah. It's by uh, Jerry Conway. Or is it Gary Conway? Uh, I don't, I've, I've always thought it was Jerry. G uh, Jerry Conway. Isn't he an old timey? He's been around for a while, right? Yeah, I think he's the guy who wrote Spider-Man after Stan left. Yeah, okay. So this is, he's old school, but doesn't read like an old school comic. No, no, it's, it's great. This guy's great yeah. still. 
uh anyway it's really fun the art's pretty good uh i i recommend it um yeah i recommend it too kevin kevin uh tipped me off to it and i'm glad i read it it's really cool yeah and then ryan dowling from our letter also reminds us and people have tweeted about this as well that uh, issue 310 of peter parker the spectacular spider-man is also one that we should talk about and this is chip zartsky friend of the podcast was on the show a while back to talk about his run yeah uh this is his final issue of the his all too short run on peter parker spider-man yeah and it's a great story yeah chip draws it himself he writes it and draws it um yeah it's, it's always interesting to me when there's comic writers who can also draw like bill willingham's one of those guys the fables writer he can yeah. he can also draw um uh, obviously you can be a lot more prolific if you let somebody else do the drawing <laughs> but um it's fun when those guys pick up the pick up the pencil uh, i love i yeah. love this story it was really it uh it was really um sweet and funny and uh moving yeah, it's basically about somebody who's making a documentary about Spider-Man and what the city thinks of him. Yeah, so you hear all these different perspectives on him. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some people don't know what to think of him. Uh, and uh, there's a thread with one woman who tells a story about Spider-Man saving, uh, basically saving her her son. Yeah, her son. Like Spider-Man, and I'm spoiling a little bit of the beginning of the issue, but Spider-Man stops a crime and is catching the crooks that are running away, which, by the way, happens to me sometimes in the PS4 game. And uh, I didn't know I was supposed to chase them (laughs) because they generally stay around and fight me. And the one time they ran away, they got away from me. (laughs) I wasn't aware I should follow them. Uh, But in this, Spider-Man is aware that he should follow the criminals, and he does. Mm -hmm. And the last one is a very young kid. He's just like... Uh, uh, I'll just read the lines. He's like, I didn't, they, they asked me to I'll just be a lookout. I please, they won't ever. And the kid is terrified. Yeah. And so when the cop comes around the corner, Spider-Man's like, the guy must've gotten away. I don't know where he went. Yep. And he has webbed the kid up high so the cop, to hide him from the police. Yeah. So he can get away with, uh, he won't get in trouble. Yeah. He gives this kid a second chance, which is very Spider-Man. It's very Spider-Man. Like, um, I, I, I'm sure that, that it's, it's happened before, but I feel like it's one of those very character defining things because Spidey himself is a man who's uh, living on a second chance. Like his first chance, he blew it and his uncle gets killed. And so he has to forgive himself and keep trying to do better. So he has to, it's, he's very sympathetic to people who are like, I won't ever make this mistake again. It's one of the things I do love about Spider-Man that he doesn't turn in Kurt Connors, the lizard. Yeah. Uh, later on, when he starts facing uh, Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn doesn't remember he's the Goblin at times. And Spider-Man doesn't turn him in. He doesn't want to send his friend's dad to jail. Yeah, when Spidey is... Uh, Spidey has a soft heart sometimes for people who need redemption. And it's um, it's a real argument against vigilante law enforcement, but it is a great, uh, it is a great argument for um, good storytelling. Like, it, it's really moving. Yeah, I mean, his thought is basically like, if, if this person won't do anything wrong again, what does it serve putting them in jail? Yeah. But because it's comics, they often do things wrong. Again. Yeah. Um, and in this in this story, this is a kid who just seems to really gotten in over his head. So it's a great. And then that story continues um, and it's really moving and it's really, you know, Chip is genuinely very funny. And so his Spider-Man is genuinely very funny. 
Yeah, there's a part where he saves a hot dog cart and the guy offers Spider-Man hot dogs for life. Yeah, uh, but then he's annoyed by Spidey constantly showing up and just talking nonstop. Yeah, yeah he's like, every day. It's, so Spider-Man, I guess, eats hot dogs there every single day and talks to the it's guy. very funny. Um, yeah, I like my Spider-Man to be funny but also annoying, so I like that all. Yeah, and uh, the story is just really sweet. And if you like Chip's stories, or if really if you like any good self-contained Spidey story, it's a really um, satisfying one. Yeah, it's issue three ten. I choked. I, I, the spectacular Spidey. I choked up several times. Like it was. It was really. It was really sweet. I mean, there's a moment in the middle that was like a gut punch to me. It was like happy. It was a happy moment. Um, but I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah. I was like, oh, so sweet. <laughs> Um, uh, but it's also sad. And, uh, I, yeah. I'm sure anybody who writes Spider-Man, especially someone who writes him for a, an extended run has a real deep affection for the character. But, uh, if you didn't, if you didn't already think so, Chip demonstrates it with this story. Yeah. Uh, it ends on a nice uh, line that I'm not going to say here, but you should read the comic yourself. Uh, just sort of like, I think dance lots last issue ended on just a really great line. Yeah. Um, but I also really love, I read, you know, uh, in the letters column, Chip has like a goodbye letter that he writes kind of like to the fans, uh, expressing yes. his sort of like uh, gratitude for getting to do the Spidey stories. And it's really a, a well-written, sweet letter in itself. And I, I enjoyed that also. Yeah. Um, it's nice. I think sometimes, uh, I think Chip was lucky in the sense that he either knew he was finishing up or called it and said like, this will be my last issue. And there's something nice when writers get that chance to sort of say goodbye to the book they've been working yeah. on. Not all creators get that chance. Yeah. Um, well, he made, he made a really nice, a nice final bow with that story yeah. and that letter. So I, uh, we recommend that too. Uh, yeah. So Ryan Dowling, thanks for recommending them. I had read one of them, but I had not read the what if story until Ryan mentioned it. I had noticed it had come out and then I went looking for it and I was very pleased that I did that. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. You're, you are a cousin who does not like Lawrence Welk. <laughs> wow. What a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cassie Hoagie sent us an email. Okay. And she sent us a few emails. Cassie's uh, an improv uh, student out here in LA. Oh, great. Uh, I don't know her, but you do because she's West Coast. So that makes sense. I love the podcast, she says. I have never read the comics before, but you boys do such a good job describing them. It doesn't matter. Uh, She also compliments my Instagram. The Instagram is beautiful, and I follow along with that as I go. And she just saw the trailer for the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and has a few questions. Uh, but let's talk about that first. So there's this new movie that's coming up. We talked about a trailer a while ago, but they've released a new trailer more recently. And this is a comic book animated movie about Miles Morales, who's also Spider-Man. Right. Um, yeah, what do you think of it? It's, I mean, first of all, it's beautiful. It's really well animated. I think it's funny. The trail, It's hard to know what the movie will be like, but the trailer seems to be very funny. Yes. Uh, and it's about Miles Morales meeting uh, Peter Parker from another dimension, another universe. Yes. And that Spider-Man sort of taking Miles Morales on and sort of teaching him how to be Spider-Man. Right. Uh, and um, 
Uh, Peter Parker's voiced by Jake Johnson, who's very funny. And in this new trailer, they introduce lots of other Spider-Men from lots of other Spider-Man universes. Yeah, it's fun. It looks really cool. I, I'm always, a, that, that's, I don't want to dismiss this as a cliche. I'm excited about it, but I love it when there's sort of like other dimensional things. I feel like that was a real thing that happened like late seventies, early eighties, you know, like the flash of two worlds that actually is from the sixties, but like, you know, other ver Alan Moore would do it a lot where you'd see like a million versions yes. of Captain Britain or, you know, the Watchmen sort of had like several versions of heroes over different generations and stuff. Yeah. Um, this is sort of inspired by a Dan Slott story called the spider verse, I think, which involves Spider-Man from all over, uh, reality, including one who's also Captain Britain, which I think is a nod towards the alternate universe, Captain Britain. Okay, cool. Um, and also for a while, I, don't, I think they try not to use it anymore, but uh, Alan Moore's Captain Britain decided that our Earth was Earth 646. <laughs> okay. I think it was 616. Uh, now I should know that down. I think it's 616. Okay. And I think it was just he thought it was fun to make us not Earth yes. 1. Um, I think Marvel has undone that because they want our Earth to be the main yeah. Earth, which I think is less fun. Yeah. But, uh, but for a long time, that stuck. Like every Earth had its multiple number uh, connotation, <laughs> and you'd be like, "You're the you're the Spider Man of Earth eighteen forty three or whatever." Yeah, that's fun. And that all started with uh, Alan Moore's Captain Britain story. Oh, cool. Alan Moore would do that a lot. Even in his Swamp Thing run, there's a story where the Swamp Thing meets a lot of other plant elementals from the Earth. There's like a parliament of them yeah. or something. Where they all meet. The parliament of the trees? Or is it something I, else? I think that might be what it's called. I forget. It's definitely like a bunch of other Swamp Thing-like creatures all hanging out and chatting. Um. So Cassie asks us some questions about this. So I guess in this movie, there will be six Spider-Mans. <laughs> And the old Spider-Man trains them th from the d different dimensions. I'd never heard of Miles Morales, so I looked him up, and apparently Peter Parker dies, so he has to be the new Spider-Man. Uh, but in this movie, it looks like Peter is alive, so I don't know. <laughs> very fun. It's very fun watching someone try to piece this together. And it does sort of give my – my I have a fear about this movie that if people see it who aren't versed, no pun intended, in Spider-Man, yeah. that they'll find it confusing. Sure. I'm hoping the movie makes it clear and explains it all well, but my fear is if it's not done well, it comes off as confusing. Right, right. Well, these like these like uh, you know time travel and alternate dimension stories, they sort of have to have a little, a very sort of uh, the right touch with the logic because it won't make sense if you think about it too much. But you do need some rules so you feel like there's some sense to what's happening and stuff. Uh, she goes on to say, Gwen Stacy is in the movie as her own Spider-Man, so that's interesting. There's a new Spider-Pig, but I don't think you can call it that because of the Simpsons. Simpsons had a Spider-Pig in their movie. <laughs> I think they are calling it Spider-Ham. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> that, I mean, uh, she's dead on everything she's saying, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, she then uh, sends us an email a little bit later, which is very funny. First, she starts off saying, I just got a new haircut with face framing layers. I like how bouncy it is. I'm a girl, and that's what I like to talk about, <laughs> which is a nod towards Stan Lee's treatment right. of women. <laughs> uh, and she says, I sent you an email earlier about your thoughts on the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which sounded crazy to me because I didn't know about the alternate Spideys. But then I listened to the Beatle uh, episode, Amazing Spider-Man number 21, because she's catching up. And in that, in that episode, you got email from someone asking about alternate Spideys. 
And we talked about Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy, Spider Lady, and Spider Hog. So she gets the names <laughs> sort of all wrong, uh, which very understandably yeah. wrong. Spider Hog um, is a good name, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spider Lady is sort of a very hey, Spider Lady. silly name. Uh, and then at the very end, she goes, I also think there's a new movie out, Venom, but I don't even want to begin to talk about how much I don't know about Venom. <laughs> so that's basically all she says. Um, yeah. Um, and that's another thing we could talk about. Venom just came out oh, last yeah. weekend. I can't I believe guess. we didn't include that in our spider news. That's kind of big news. Yeah. That is big spider news. I think it's because I don't care that much about Yeah, and Venom. also the movie's supposed to be really bad. Some people seem to like it, but it's overall getting sort of mediocre to bad reviews. Uh, I've never been a huge Venom fan, though. I think he's an interesting character. I think he got very watered down when they tried to turn him into a hero, which is what that movie is. Um, but uh, yeah, that's also out. There's a Venom movie out that I haven't seen, and I don't have plans to see anytime soon. So we probably won't discuss it much in depth on this I'm, podcast. Unless I'm never going to watch it. I'll see it when it's on uh, HBO yeah. or something. Um, I think Cassie's questions, and I guess she answered them herself, sort of, are like totally smart. Yeah. Um, Spider-Ham was sort of a spoof Spider-Man ca- character that came out. I don't even know when the he 80s, first I think. Out. It was like the early 80s. It was like or 84 or something like that. I'm, uh, this is just from my memory, but w- it was when we were reading comics. I know for a while, and I don't know if this is where he started, He was there was backup pages in Marvel Tales because comics of the 60s were shorter than comics of the 80s. So they had like four or five extra pages mm. and they would put uh, Marvel Tales, T-A-I-L-S, starring Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Uh, I, I remember that might have happened first, but there was a line of kids comics that came out. Marvel did like a separate imprint of kids things. Yes, Star Comics. And um, I think Spider-Ham was one of those. He was. That was after Marvel okay, Tales. Okay. But there was also that one shot that I don't know when that came out that we have that is like Spider-Ham, the incredible... Bulk, which is like Bunny Hulk, Captain America, and uh, I, I don't know, Ghost Rider's a duck of some sort. I forget what uh, he, his uh, name Rider, is. Maybe? They sort of all, maybe, yeah, Goose Rider. Um, and it's like basically there's a story about them. And I think it's a one issue, just sort of one yeah. shot. And I don't, I don't know where that falls into the line of anything either. Spider-Ham is a dude that has just been floating around the Marvel world for a while. So it's funny that he's in that movie. I think just the name Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, is funny, and that is enough to carry him. John through. Mulaney's voice performance was very funny in the trailer. Yeah, John Mulaney does the voice of him in this trailer, and it's uh, in the movie, I assume, as well. And it's so good. I wouldn't have known who I would have picked for the voice, and it's, it's perfect. perfect. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a lot. Yeah. So uh, thank you for... If you yeah. want it. If you want to email us, uh, you probably won't get it in time uh, if you're hearing this we'll now. To be, uh, but we'll read it. It's screwitspidey at gmail.com. And you can still follow us on Instagram and Twitter, screwitspidey at in, uh, on both those accounts. And I'm posting lots of images on the Instagram account, and we're tweeting every once in a while. Uh, by the time this is released, we'll probably have recorded our final two episodes. Yeah, that's probably right. But um, please, please email us anyway if you have thoughts and any any kind of hot take or thing you've left out or um, or recommendations of Spidey comics to read. We'd like to hear it. Yeah. Um, and thanks for listening to us. 
Yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, and thanks for listening to this. We're wrapping up, right, Kevin? That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll hopefully uh, see you guys next episode. Kevin, good job. Good job, Will Hines. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Aw, yeah, when you hear a beat like that and you're listening to a Campfire Media podcast, you know you are listening to Dope Town 3000. Dope Town 3000, a nonstop hip-hop improv team bringing you a podcast. And what happens on that podcast? We bring on a guest, they tell a dope story, and we turn that dope story into a dope one-act radio play full of sounds, beats, and dopeness. Check it out on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are heard. Campfire.